Hello, beloved listeners. We are back for Octavia's Parables. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, your co host here with Toshi Regan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wait, what do we do? What's my name? (laughs) What's my name? Um, Well, I feel like I always do say it differently too, so I don't give you a like rhythmic familiarity. It's all good. I should be ready. I should be ready. If you stay ready, you get to, you know what they say. So (laughs) we're so excited and also kind of repelled um, by what we get to do next, which is we're diving into Octavia E. Butler's Wild Seed. And just a little bit about wild seed in the universe of Octavia. Maybe we should ground people that way. So the first idea, you know, Octavia has talked about this as kind of like the first idea she had as a fiction writer was something called The Pattern. And it's a novel that ended up becoming The Pattern Master. And she wrote a series backwards from that novel in order to explain like how would humanity get Mm -hmm. to the pattern master and it's brilliant it's a brilliant arc and it's one that takes us from uh history back to the era of slavery into a future in which this pattern has emerged of telepathic beings and all kinds of stuff is happening and the writing backwards for me has always been fascinating that she was like well i need to go back and understand 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 and the other really important thing about this book is that the protagonist is is someone who feels extremely relevant to the times we're living in. It's someone who um, has an immense capacity to heal and shift shapes and be with change. So coming out of the parables that we just experienced where we had someone who had hyper empathy syndrome Um, And Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily able to shift shape, but was able to shape change and understood the importance Mm -hmm. of that. It felt like this was a next step, right? It's like, well, what do we do with someone who can actually make those changes within themselves? Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to dive into this book. You are invited, um, as always, to read along with us, to just listen if you've read it before or if that's a way that you can observe it. What we'll do each time is Toshi will give a summary of the storyline that happens in the chapter where we're addressing. I'll share some questions that emerge for me in that reading. And then we will discuss how this feels relevant to where we are right now. If you didn't listen to the first two seasons of our podcast with the parable of the sower and the parable of the talents, I highly recommend you go back. Those are really relevant to where we are right now. Um, mm-hmm. That said, you don't have to have read them for this for this experience. So whatever floats your boat. I'm excited. Are you excited, Toshi? I'm really excited and already blown away by this book yeah, again. Totally. <laughs> I will and you know something that strikes me, I know this may, this is gonna sound like duh, but something that strikes me immediately is Earth Seed and Wild Seed and Octavia's seeding activities, like how she really thought about what was being seeded into the future. And I don't know why, but it's never stood out this way to me before. I'm really excited about what she thinks is this wild seed. So will you bring us in and and tell us where we begin? 
Well, the first thing I wrote down about this chapter was discovery. Um, It is, it just, the whole chapter is like, you know, literally we're turning pages, but we can see our people in the book, like just start to um, understand where they are and who they are and, and, um, and lots of surprises. And so we start off with, how do you say Doro? Do you say, I say Doro? Doro. Do you... I say Doro mm-hmm. and Anyanwu. And okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say too. But I just... <laughs> no, <laughs> so, like, I since we're gonna be here for a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, we just find out that Doro discovered the woman by accident, and that's like kind of half the first sentence. And you know, already you know something's about to go down. He wanted to see what was left of one of his seed villages. Mm-hmm. And the village is destroyed and his people are destroyed. And um, he's moving through that and he's looking that it has to be slavers. And he's just, you know, feeling what all of that means. And and then as he's, you know, figuring it out, he starts to get a sense of, of someone. Mm. He just starts to get a feeling and you and he is not like walking around this super strong amazing being he's actually it's described that he's stumbling and that he's angry and that he's you know just just full of emotion and then he gets a sense that there is someone and he starts to go and find who that is so he um in the midst of of that he is speaking to himself and he's thinking about his failure you know, he created this village and, 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 and it's all gone and he's failed. And he's wandering southwest towards the, the forest. And he, as it says, um, he was killed several times by disease, by animals, by hostile people, that the land was very harsh. But he was still very, very invested in finding who or what this feeling was. Um, and he trusted such feelings. And as it became sharper and sharper and sharper, he re- just resolved himself to continue this journey. So we then meet Anyanwu, and um, she is is in a her village. Mm-hmm. She is in her on her land. She already is being described as somebody who's just very has very 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 sharp senses like more than anybody else that she can really feel things hear things see things mm-hmm. um it's we're starting to get a sense of of how much she's had to do in order to survive and we start to get right away that she's probably survived over a very long period of time yes. and we start to get a sense of her family her how much of her family how many this first husband, this second husband, this third husband, this fourth husband, five, <laughs> the one that was very sweet and good, the one that thought he was smarter than everybody, the one that was this and one that is that. And she starts to, um, you just start to get a sense that, oh, wait, like this is not an ordinary person. Yep. And not only that, but she is just like an expert, a deep expert in terms of like healing, in terms of knowing the land, knowing the herbs that should be used to take care of a certain situation. She wasn't like super religious, but it was okay that her people 
saw her as somebody who could speak to God. And so she would keep a few things around to comfort them so they wouldn't be, you know, always trying to kill her, which they did try to do that um, on (laughs) several times. On occasion, they would be like, we don't know what this is. Then we need to like, you know, we need to do something. We need to try to get get that. But she's also um, allows herself to be in an old body, like to grow old and to to be in this this state that also makes people feel very comfortable with her, even if they're just not just not aware. And she starts to see somebody approaching and she said the um, the intruder uh, is moving on a, no, uh, a narrow path to approach her openly. She sees him as a fine man, taller than most and broad shoulders. And his skin is as dark as her own. And he's not yet 30. And when he was near enough, he spoke to her and his words made her frown in confusion because they were foreign words. And she asked, uh, who are you? And she wants to know how they can speak because she doesn't understand. Uh-huh. And she says, you must be from very far away. Your speech is so different. And they're basically starting this kind of like second wave of discovery in this first chapter where they meet. And he's saying, it's been a long time since I spoke your language. And she's like, what does that mean? (laughs) And he's, (laughs) and she's like, I'm old, you know, I could be your mother's mother. And, and then she wants to know, who are you? And he says, I could be your mother's father. And so already it's, it's, and I don't know about you, but I, you know, I kind of really forgot this whole kind of way that they meet each other and this whole, you know, we spoke earlier and and that the whole idea that we already know that he's who he is, that it wasn't like, you know, so this whole chapter, um, we're allowed to know who both of them are and then we get to watch them meet each other. Yes. And it's it's very cool, but I think I kind of repressed that I already knew that Dora was horrible. Yeah, me <laughs> too. Absolutely. Like, just we'll like, talk about it. <laughs> you know. And so she's like, "Well, what's your name?" And um, he says, "Doro." And he said it twice. Is is that a name? It is my name. And she put a hand to her face. This is a trick, and fear starts to like surface inside of her. And, and it's like imagining someone who has never met anybody like them in all the hundreds of years they have existed. And now they are starting to meet this this person who not only feels like they could possibly occupy a similar space, but also is just at ease with it in a certain kind of way, at ease with themselves and at ease with her. Mm. So... They are getting to know each other. She says, I am Anyanwu. And uh, he repeated her name. And Anyanwu, the son, he nodded. Our people, our peoples missed each other by many years and a great distance. Anyanwu, and yet somehow they named us well. Mm-hmm. So she, they are going through this kind of beautiful um, section of like, who are their people? Um, where do they come from? Where do they, where do they, they go? And then they start to get into the the vibration around how old they might be. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, a really wonderful discovery. They are like taking this time to try to 
ground themselves in their relationship and in their in their knowing. It's like I don't know about Dora, but but for Anyawa was the first time she's met anyone anywhere near her territory. So it is it's it's one of the, you know, interesting parts that I liked before I got scared. Yes. <laughs> mhm. I'm like, "Oh, that's so cool." And so they they talk about Anyangu's people and then they start to talk about um slavery and how her people like came from Benin and then they're just going through the whole territory and I love Octavia for this cuz She's giving you a very expansive look at the continent and how the people were moved. And even by having Doro have to walk so long Mm -hmm. to find Anyawa, you start to get just, you know, a look that we don't usually get to look at. So she starts to talk about how she found it difficult to be a good wife in her most recent years because of the ways women must bow their heads and be subjected to their husbands. And so she she decided to be a priestess who spoke with the voice of God, and that kind of let her be left alone. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, she had to do something to let people know they can't mess with her. So they are going through this. They're getting to know each other. At some point, he is he is really asking a lot of questions. You know, he wants to know who she is and what she can do. And then she tells him a lot. Yeah. And when I'm reading this, I'm just like, no, girl, <laughs> don't tell him everything. But she does. She doesn't have any any fear, really, at this point. And she tells him that she can she can change bodies and she can shape shift. And he's very, very interested. And um, and then I say this. This is when it begins, because he wants to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just tell it's on It just in, his interest increases they go on this journey and they start um, talking and then he is, you get the sense that he is so powerful that this, like if I, when I was thinking about this, I was like, when people look at regular people that they think they know everything it's possible for that being to do. Yes. There's like one vibe. It's very easy to categorize. But when he sees her, he's like, Oh, this is the game changer I've been waiting for. Yes. And everything increases. Um, at some point, you know, she she starts to, I think, get an undercurrent of fear. And she says, you are a spirit. And because she starts to really understand that the way he could possibly do things is not the same as her. That's right. This is worrying to her. Yeah. And she's also still so shaped by the cult. Like, it's like. She's got these extra powers, but she's still shaped in the culture of her people, right? Yes. Which I love. Yeah, she's yeah. still shaped in, by the culture of her people and by the culture of her children. Yes. So she's had all of these kids, you know. she's She's been in these relationships. She's had a lot of children. She is still a person who cares about um, community and her family and loves and has love. And he is just not. So things start to shift between them. And he says, you know, I went through great trouble to avoid killing you. So <laughs> it's like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then he says something like, I would not want to kill one of your sons. And so gently. you just start very yeah. gently like, look, I didn't kill you. I don't want to kill one of your sons. Um, how would you receive me if I came to you clothed in the flesh of one of your sons? 
So it's, it is so on at this point. Um, and she wants to know how can her sons be of value? And so she still doesn't necessarily get it. Yeah. Like how he is existing. And, and she definitely doesn't get the whole breeder thing, No, you know, but he starts to introduce, you know, this idea of wouldn't she want to see her children be like more like her, you know, wouldn't he want, wouldn't she want to see if something, something like that happened where she wasn't burying her kids all the time and watching them die and, and get, oh, wouldn't she want to do that? Mm. He, (laughs) at some point he suggests that perhaps her sons and her daughters could marry each other. And she is just like, abomination. uh, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 we are not animals here. And he he doesn't care. Like, At he's all. just like, eh, you know, like, oh, well, you just got a little unnerved. They are very far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he focuses his attention on her and she shifts her body for him so that he can see it. So she becomes a, a man during this conversation and then she becomes a woman. And when she becomes a woman, it's after he asks for some food that his body is like, you know, becoming very uh, tired from the journey that he took. Yeah. And he asked to lay down and he asked for her to make some food and she makes him some food. And he is very, 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 very much like this. There is no answer that she can give that around like coming with him, it's already decided that he is going to come on the next journey with her. And the question is how? And so his whole, his whole rest of the time he's there is around getting her to come with him without having to kill her. Yes. Like he does not want to kill her. So he has to shape all of the conversations so that she can willingly walk with him. And it is such a manipulative journey that they take. It is he has to let her feel that she's actually empowered and that she's making the decision to do everything. You know, even when they're together, they they lie down together. He wants it to feel like she is in charge yeah. of that and the way he touches her, the way he approaches her, the whole thing. And several times he thinks about like what position he's in. So that he doesn't get scared and take her body. What does this happens like several times in this first chapter? He is very conscious that like certain things should not happen to him so that he doesn't actually accidentally kill her because he sees such a bright future. It is also very clear that they're not the same kind of being. Yeah. Like they are very, very different that, you know, whatever, whatever universe that is similar that they occupy, they are, they are not the same. Um, and so they basically are bargaining around how they're going to, what's going to happen. That's right. And Yanwu decides to go with him. Yeah. Uh, and she decides to go. She's interested in this idea of, I think, the children. I think she's also sensing that this person could take anything that they want and do anything with it. And she is kind of like, let me get him out of here so I can protect these people because he will do what he wants and that he doesn't feel any, he's not regular. He has no, no, no pain. Like we've seen him be emotional and we've seen him, but he's emotional around 
his plans falling apart. He's not emotional around the bodies of humans at all. Yep. And so she she makes a decision. She kind of does this idea. They kind of do this like, what can you do? What can I do? What can you do? You know, she gives him a rock and he's like, you know, she's like, break this rock. And then he can't. He gives it back to her and she crushes it with one hand. And so this is like, no, you have to come with me. He's like, I must have that woman. (laughs) I must have that woman. (laughs) I must have her. She must, you know, this is, yeah, I I can do a lot. And um, she says, I've had 47 children to 10 husbands. And this is when he tells her like, yeah, but what if these husbands could stay alive? And she looks at him. She studies him. She begins to feel uncomfortable. Um. And he begins to feel uncomfortable. He, and he is not accustomed to being uncomfortable. Mm. But it was like this moment where she um, begins to grow breast that he knew for certain he had won. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love that, that shape shifting as a communication moment. I was yeah. like, Octavia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So she, she, the, this whole time that they have been in communication um, with each other was a very, very long and deep journey of discovery and then later of negotiation yes. and then later of closing some certain kind of deal Yeah, that would, you know, start us off. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely love reading Octavia over and over again, but this podcast has really let me know um, as we said at the end of Parable yeah. in our, in our um, conversation with Alexis, like what we safely <laughs> tuck away so that oh, we, you yes. don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. So like, mm. this, this chapter, I mean, I think of Octavia's work, this first chapter of this book is one of my favorite chapters she ever wrote. And mm. because there's so much happening here, like there's so much happening in the dance between these two individuals and Everything that comes for the next four novels is inside the dynamics and the differences of these two individuals. And they are representative of the great struggles of humanity over how to be and how to persist and how to continue. What it mean, What is our species for? Are we here to mm-hmm. evolve? Are we here to form family? Are we here to love? Are we here to grow? You know, so... It's all here. Um, I have questions. So the first one is a first impression question, just to really reflect. What is your first impression of Doro? What stands out to you about him? Do you feel compelled by him, drawn to him, scared of him? Just notice what you feel about Doro. And similarly, what is your first impression of Anyanwu? Do you feel invited by her, compelled by her, scared of her, curious about her, curious about both of them? I'm always interested, you know, as people are reading this, if they're drawn towards one or the other of them and if that Mm -hmm. shifts as the story unfolds. Are there tools you currently use to cloak your magic? I love one of the aspects of Anyanwu that they speak about is that she gathers and grows all kinds of medicine, 
all kinds of plants and herbs from places mm -hmm. and people come to her for healing and she doesn't actually need the plants and the herbs to heal them, but she uses those as a way for people to have some comprehension of what's happening without getting scared of her, that she can actually just heal them. <laughs> so I think a lot of us do some variation of that using divination tools when we're actually receiving directly, um, other things like that, you know? So I'm curious, you know, for your reflection on that listeners. Mm -hmm. And then I think, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard this metaphor. I feel like when I was in my like active dating life, I heard it once where it was like, if someone, maybe Maybe it's um, Don Miguel Ruiz wrote this somewhere, <laughs> but it's like basically if someone comes knocking at your door with a nasty, greasy pizza <laughs> and your your cupboards are all empty and your fridge is empty and like everything, you don't have anything, then you're like, oh, I need this pizza. Like, get in here, pizza. Like, I'm going to eat you. And if someone comes and knocks on your door with that pizza, but you've got like a household full of healthy, good, delicious food that you love. You're like, I don't need that. And I feel like that feels relevant in this moment, that that mm. Doro comes knocking on Anyanwu's door and there's a loneliness that he's able to exacerbate that's present there. Even though she has her kin and her family and her friends and everything, she's never met anyone who's been able to live where she could be like, this relationship might actually exist <laughs> longer than, you know, the each of my husbands has come mm -hmm. and they've died. All of my children have been born and they've died. And here comes this person who's like, I'm a killer, but I also live and I live and I live and I live. And I feel like the question I have in this is where do you experience loneliness in your life? And does it make you vulnerable? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really such a great question because She's the one who says, like, you know, husband, wife dynamic between the two of them. And he he sees that right away. He's like, oh, OK, well, all right. She's making it even easier for me. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know, and she's like that. That was that's the availability. That's what happens yeah. is people, you know, that's the gender dynamics of the time and place the power dynamics of the time and place. It's just like, oh, you must be here to make me your wife. Yeah. And I'm we're negotiating that. He's like, uh, I'm here to make you my seed. I'm here, I see you as a, something I want to, you know, and you should, I love that we get to see in both of them what's playing out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if she had even a few of her children who had lived longer, right. who had shown some capacity for immortality, I think this first chapter would have gone differently. Yes, I agree. I definitely agree. I love mm. the definition of oracle that Octavia gives here. Oracle is one through whom God speaks, and that's a way that Anyanwu has allowed her people to see her. My question for our listeners, are you an oracle? <laughs> are you one through <laughs> whom God speaks? And if so, mm. you know, what ways does divine message flow through you? You know, Toshi, I always think this about you and your music is <laughs> that I'm like, oh, that's divine. Like something is flowing through you that is an interconnecting force. You know, I think this about Alexis. I feel like there's people mm -hmm. where we're just like, oh, these are the oracles. 
And I think often we think of Octavia that way, that like the way her mind worked, the stories that ended up coming through feel like a divine gift, even if she would have scoffed at that end. Um, so I just want everyone to do a little self-check. Like, am I an oracle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's happening with, with God speaking through me? There's a, a line in this, you know, as they're negotiating and they're discussing slavery and how their peoples have both been enslaved and been enslavers. Mm-hmm. Anyanwu talks about the fact that she really doesn't like slavery. Even she's been in in relationships with people who are like, this is the way to power. Um, but she says this line, sometimes one must become a master to avoid becoming a slave. Right. Where do you see this show up in our current society? And do you ever feel like it's a valid move? I think of our prison system <laughs> as this, right? Mm-hmm. That like we all pay taxes into a system that enslaves people. And it makes us all complicit, I think, in that process. And I don't think it's a valid move. But I do think that there's something around protecting those we love, right? Where it's like, oh, what what are the conditions here and how do we protect those we love? And I see it in her. And I, I'm like, oh, I'm really curious how this is going to continue to play out. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep because you, you're in it whether you want to or not on some degree. Yeah. yeah. And then that, that question of, you know, the, the, that comes up in the dynamics of Parable of the Sower, which is like you get to see a community that is under great, you know, great stress, kind of refuse the slavery dynamic. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have the same thing, but just because they live together inside this cul-de-sac, they... You know, they're like, well, let's build a wall and let's let's work together. And then the second that that doesn't work, yeah. your next steps are like you could just do anything. Yes. Depending on like what you have, That's like, right. <laughs> you know, like what you have, you have something you can carry somebody away with, like then yeah. just knock them over the head and carry them away. And like, you know, That's it becomes right. these these very outrageous things, you know, yeah, that just become normalized and. I don't know if you remember the, the big um, Ani DeFranco scandal of of the plantation. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that one day when somebody called me and said, yo, Toshi, what's up with you in the plantation? <laughs> and what's I was like, up? what? Mm-hmm. What's up? And so I had no idea. <laughs> so and in, in one like in 10 hours, I, I just was being, you know, like everything happening on the Internet. And like, why is Toshi playing it on a plantation? And you know it was crazy but i looked up that plantation mm. and it was like um you know plantations operate in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. and um and this particular one had gotten uh, restored by this like very wealthy australian man mm. and it was restored to its like original state of being like you know pre civil war and that was kind of the the selling point of it, you know, it's like you can go back in time kind of thing. That is no place I would ever be. But they had a page on, you know, on slavery. Like, and at the time they were like, he had this many slaves and they were very nice to them or something like that. It was really deep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being like, wait, what, what happened? Mm-hmm. And now this same place has been bought by a different 
you know, company. And that page, uh, when I last checked, was was blank. I should check like a month ago because this came up again. And I think it's like that idea of, you know, something that's so close to us is so far away. Yeah. And therefore, it's it's like as we know, you know, like we we're not going to attain this, that we are going to do something different. And I'm like, but it's it's not different yep. and at all. And we're always, you know kind of trying to look back at time and just say this was something so outrageous that we don't even occupy at all. And it's just weaved through like absolutely everything, everything. and we're occupying it in similar ways, yeah. like where we're going everyday life and then this accompanies us on our everyday life. That's right. And we either feel like we can do something about it or we feel like we can't and we make a decision, you know, every day. And yeah. Ooh, thank you, Octavia, again. Yeah. You know, I think this one is so important and I think it's I think it's extremely current as a question and I think it will continue to be I feel like capitalism over and over again invites us to participate in um an economy of enslavement and in such insidious ways. You know, it's like, oh, this is the $5 t-shirt that you can get at the discount store and who do you think makes shirts of that value? Um, how mm-hmm. do you think those get made? Those kind of things. But I also, I think of Octavia's writing in parables of Lauren being able to buy, buy her brother's freedom. And mm-hmm. um, it's just like, well, in what ways are we interacting with these systems? And are we interacting with them to free people? Do we have the power to change them? If we don't have the power right. to change them, how do we move about them? So mm-hmm. I think this is a question to keep coming back to. Um, that that quote is one to keep coming back to and to think about. And then, you know, the whole dance between Anyanwu and Doro is about the difference of gifts that they've been given. So as much as you can flesh out, what do you understand to be the differences between their kinds of immortalities or their gifts, their gifts of being able to continue life? And he says to her, you have gentle gifts. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such a powerful way of seeing it. That's like, you literally were given something that I don't have. And if I want to live, that that gentle thing is not an offer for me. Um, and it made me want to ask our listeners, do you have gentle gifts? Mm-hmm. Do you have dangerous ones? How can you use them in service of something larger than yourself? Mm. That's beautiful. You know. And that's also like, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we started off with this aspect of the seed. Octavia loves the work of a seed. And I'm wondering as you're, as we're, you know, leaving parables at our back and moving into this wild seed world, what kind of seed are you and what kind of seed do you sow? And of Doro and Anyanwu, which feels like a wild seed to you. Are they both wild seed? How do you start to understand that? Mm-hmm. And then this part, you know, I was kind of embarrassed to write this question down, but, you know, given the way the memory works, because in my memory, when I think of this story, I'm like, there is this hot banter exchange, the tension between them, the dance between them. <laughs> like, that's how I remember it. And then going back and reading it, I'm like, this is terrifying. (laughs) Like, this is terrifying. (laughs) This person is showing up and immediately threatening her. And so I had this question, like, 
Is this romantic? Is it power play? Is it objectification? Is it war? And is it our societal shaping that makes it feel unclear which one it is or that Mm. makes us shift how we hold it in our memories? I know I'm not the only one who has experienced this. I've had talks with other, particularly Black women, who are like, yeah, that shit was hot. <laughs> and it's like, wait, why Why does it feel so hot to have someone show up who's like, I have total power and you finally met your match and, and all of that. And I think as this story unfolds, it's one I want us to continue to unpack this question of actual power dynamics and what gets set up and normalized by patriarchy and how we mm-hmm. evolve beyond it. Even at even when we're reading this kind of work, or especially when we're reading this kind of work, I'm so glad you you um, you were willing to share that though, because that I just remember how many times in my life since I was a child to even now someone has like stepped to me in a way that was really really like no matter how soft their voice or how kind their gaze was very aggressive and also like dominating and in a way that I, you know, when I was younger, I wouldn't catch it as fast. You know, now that I'm older, I know how to say no, like right away. And I know, I know how to tell people they can't have something. Yes. But I remember that feeling, um, especially like in the in-between, you know, pre-Saturn return. It's like, Yeah, (laughs) I remember that feeling of somebody having like, you know, and even that idea of like you're in your house and somebody knocks on the door. Yes. And then when they knock on the door, you know, there was a time you would open doors like, you know, that's over. I hope for everybody now. Don't you open that door, girl. But now I don't open the door. Like, I'm just like, who is it? (laughs) What you want? What do you need? You got to call. You you got to text it. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you here? I don't know why you're at my house. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I remember when people I knew would um, knock on my door with, with a familiar voice and a different energy. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't let them in the house. Mm. And I didn't know why. Mm. And it, it's like, and it's, it's like, that has happened a few times. And I was like, they not coming in this house. I don't know. Yeah, well, I know your name. I recognize your voice. But your knock is a little off. Like, why are you knocking on my door? Like, I love that. Yeah, it's like, no, it's not the, yeah, it's a little off. I'm not, you you know, you would usually call and say you're in the hood. Like, you didn't Mm -hmm. call this time. You just hear what you want. And I, you know, what you want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. And you know, I know, you know, I know, you know, and know, you know, and I know, and you know exactly what you mean. I mean, I will say this. I feel like as a powerful woman, Mm -hmm. what I was told was sexy for me was a Doro type, was someone who Mm. came and was just like, um, you know, someone alpha, alpha, you know, like it was just like, we're going to alpha each other or something. And I, I feel like I very narrowly escaped a Dora love story, you know, a few mm-hmm. times, <laughs> a few times. Yeah. I feel like I narrowly escaped it. And I, I think there's something fascinating that I, I mean, part of why I'm excited to look at this book 
is because I think there's something fascinating and seductive about the dynamics between the healers and the consumers and the that it can get all mixy mixy, right? As a healer, mm-hmm. you want to heal everyone. And someone like Adoro comes along and it's like, I can get you to stop hurting everyone. Like maybe mm-hmm. I can get you to stop killing and help you find another way and like, you know, mm-hmm. give you children you'll love or <laughs> who knows what, mm-hmm. right? Um so I really and you know, the last question I had here is the mating dance between them culminates in the promise of children you would not have to bury. Doro says that to Anyanwu. That is yeah. the thing that she can't say no to, right? That he he's offering to her. Like, and partially, you know, the strategy is unfolding for her of like, how do I keep my people safe? But also she's intrigued by that promise. She's like, is that is that possible? I always think it's so curious because he's literally shown up at her door. Like I just lost an entire village of my people. Like I'm like, you don't yeah. know how to keep people safe. And, right. and, and just the promise, the possibility, again, the loneliness and the grief leave us open sometimes for dangerous things. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that would make you say yes to Doro? Right. And I want all of our listeners to really be reflecting on that. Maybe you're already mm. saying yes to Doro, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Maybe you still use Amazon, whatever. You know, I, I think of that as like the Doro um, force, you know, <laughs> in capitalism, right? That, that I'm like, just, oh you know, God. trying to walk away from. So those are all the questions I have for this first chapter. I, I really feel like she starts strong. I hope we also started strong here. And I'm really excited for us to go on this journey together. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for this first episode of Octavia's Parables, Wild Seed. We are your co-hosts, Adrian Marie Brown and Toshi Regan. We are produced by Kat Aaron, and our show art is by Krista Franklin. Music for Octavia's Parables podcast, the Wild Seed edition, is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan, and the Sower Song, performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, live at Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find us on Twitter at OParables. You can also find transcripts of the work for everything we've done at readingoctavia.com. And if you like this podcast and want us to keep going, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash OParables. See you next time. See ya. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed.